Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm Jillian, and today we are going to talk about distress tolerance and how to deal with urges. But I want to start out with something I have to say I'm a little bit almost embarrassed because I recently looked at my Apple podcasting stats. And Apple doesn't send notifications when you get reviews, which is sad. Apple, work on that. But I went in and I saw this review and I my jaw went to the ground. Whoever wrote this review, I love you. You are amazing. I absolutely love this and I wanted to read this to you guys. The review is five stars. Thank you. And it says, love this. Straightforward, noble, sensible, smart advice for living beyond what you think or don't think of your body. Message and advice delivered with humor and the occasional F-bomb to humanize. Can't believe someone so young is this insightful. Thank you so, so, so much. If this is you and you want to shoot me a message on Instagram and tell me this is you, I would love to give you a virtual hug somehow. I love this. I appreciate it so much. So thank you. And as I said, today we are going to talk about distress tolerance and how to deal with urges. Uh, which I will also refer to in this podcast as discomfort tolerance. So it'll be either distress distress tolerance or discomfort tolerance. And I'm going to define discomfort tolerance in a moment, but here's why this episode may be the most important one that you listen to so far from this podcast. And I want to tell you a little bit about me. I was an emotional eater for a very long time. I would say most of my life, to be honest. But I didn't realize it. I wasn't aware that I was an emotional eater. I thought I was just impulsive. I thought I needed better self-control. I thought I just love sweets too much. And all of these things that I thought about myself, I believed them in in part because I really didn't know how to be with uncomfortable feelings. I didn't even know how to identify uncomfortable feelings. I would feel things like we have all of these uncomfortable sensations all the time like that's part of the human condition and so when I would be bored I would be frustrated I would be lonely I would be sad and I just wasn't aware of it and I wasn't aware how it was affecting how I eat it how I eat it how I ate wow Jillian here's the thing is that I'm not the only one this happens to I've talked to many many clients that are like oh I'm not an emotional eater and then they realize oh my gosh I am And this is why this conversation around distress tolerance is so important because often we will feel urges to eat, urges to snack, urges to, you know, distract ourselves with food and it will be coming from a specific emotion. When we can start to learn how to deal with that, how to be with that, we actually gain so much freedom in the way that we eat because eating no longer becomes this like, only coping mechanism and specifically you know I work with many women that are reducing their reliance on macro tracking or trying to eliminate macro tracking from their lives and we often use macro tracking as sort of a way to control ourselves when we don't feel like we can control ourselves without macro tracking and so this is a really important skill and concept to learn whether or not you are someone that tracks their food or diets or whether you are someone that is just like I feel like I have all these urges to eat or or just to keep eating, or or just to eat sweets, and I don't know how to deal with them in a way that actually supports how I want to feel around food. So let's talk about it. One thing that I used to do personally all the time was I would get up and go to the fridge to look for a snack if I got frustrated or if I felt stuck when I was working on a task or a project. Specifically for me, if I had to do any paperwork, oh, you bet I would feel this like frustration in my body 
And I would get up and I would go look for a snack. It was a distraction from the discomfort of what I was feeling. And now what's different is I notice that I'm feeling an emotion and I'm aware that it's likely that if I'm having an urge, I'm feeling some type of emotion, right? And so if I have this urge to get up or go seek out something to avoid the emotion, I kind of call it out and I say, hey, this is the emotion that I think I might be feeling. This is where I feel it in my body. And I get curious about, you know, what might be driving this emotion. And then one of the things that I like to do is I like to ask myself, what would be helpful right now? Sometimes that is taking a break from work and like mindless scrolling for five minutes. Sometimes that is going and getting a hug from my partner. Sometimes that is lying on the couch for a few minutes. So understanding what is helpful, that's been an experience as well. We're not going to talk about that specifically, but we are going to talk about a specific tool that you can start to practice. Because today we're going to talk about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and how that can help you develop a better relationship with food and your body. And I do want to note that the concept of distress tolerance and the specifically the skill that we're going to work on today is something that is often spoken about a lot in counseling and therapy. And in fact, I first learned about this concept when I was studying acceptance and commitment therapy, and then it came up again as one of the principles in compassion-focused therapy. And I'm sure most of you know, maybe you don't, I am not a therapist, but I will say this just to make sure. I am a coach, I am not a therapist, and this podcast serves to help you expand your understanding, critical thinking skills, perspective around food in your body. Coaching is not a replacement for therapy or other professional mental health services or eating disorder treatment. So let's get into it. What is distress tolerance? So here's a definition from a 2010 literature review looking at distress tolerance in adults, specifically around anxiety and depression. And distress tolerance has been referred to as the perceived capacity to withstand negative emotional and or other aversive states, for example, physical discomfort, and B, the behavioral act of withstanding distressing internal states elicited by some type of stressor. And so this is really interesting because distress tolerance is both perception and behavior. So it is both what you believe and what you do. And so this means that if you believe that you can tolerate or deal with difficult emotions, stressors, or other forms of discomfort, great. And you also can have the skills or know how to practice the act of tolerating tolerating that discomfort. So for example, someone that has high distress tolerance might perceive a, a stressful situation as more manageable than someone that has low distress tolerance. And the high distress tolerance person might be able to act in a more calm way. They might have, you know, more effective stress management skills. Whereas the low distress tolerance person, because they believe they can't handle it and they also don't have the stress management behaviors, it might feel like the same stressor is completely overwhelming. Whereas the person with high distress tolerance might be like, no, I got this. You might have heard the saying before, you have gotten through all of your hardest days so far. And it's kind of woo-woo, kind of cliche, but it's actually true. Like literally all of the hard things that have happened in your life, you have gotten through them. And maybe you're like, yeah, but I didn't deal with them well. And yeah, maybe you've learned some maladaptive coping mechanisms, or maybe you've identified like, hey, I do not like how I deal with stressful situations or urges or difficult emotions. But as I said, part of distress tolerance is perception. So what that means is if you can shift your perception from I can't handle this, I can't get through this, this is too much for me, to, hey, I know I can get through this, let me figure out how. Remember that you already have evidence 
that you can survive shitty things or challenging feelings. You have already proven to yourself over and over and over again that you can get through hard stuff. So that hopefully can start to change your perception. One of the things that I really like to talk about with clients is, for example, let's say you're an emotional eater. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm just such an emotional eater, you can shift it to I'm learning how to deal with my emotions in different ways. You may be at the exact same point right now. So right now you may still be an emotional eater. However, there's a big difference in perception between I am XYZ thing and I am learning to be different. So that I think is very, very important. I probably have mentioned this on the podcast before. I want to talk about the behavior side of it and specifically one of the behaviors and the practices that's so important for building distress tolerance is mindfulness. So we want to also define mindfulness just in case we're not clear on what that is. So mindfulness includes paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment. And a lot of people see mindfulness as this very sort of narrow, like I have to sit down and meditate in order to be mindful. Other people believe that mindfulness is about clearing your mind of all thoughts. That is absolutely not true. Mindfulness is about being able to notice and be aware to thoughts or feelings or what is happening either in your mind or outside of yourself without judging or criticizing it. And so one of the really incredible skills of mindfulness is adopting an air of curiosity. So when we're practicing mindfulness, we want to be curious about like a physical sensation instead of judging like this is good or this is bad. So if we put these two together, being in the present moment without judging yourself or your experience and how that contributes to your ability to tolerate distressing emotions, that can kind of look like this. Let's say you're feeling upset over an argument you have with your partner and if you can practice mindfulness around that feeling, around the sensation, without judging it as good or bad or without feeling guilty for feeling bad, you may find that you can deal with the distress or the discomfort more effectively than if you were to say, I shouldn't feel this way, I can't believe I feel this way, uh, or you try to push down the emotion altogether. And so you might wonder, okay, well, what does this have to do with your relationship with food? And specifically, we're going to talk about urges. And this is something that I think is very, no, I don't think, I know it is extremely common. It is the urge to buy the croissant when you see it in the bakery window, even though you, you know, you told yourself you weren't going to have any baked goods this week. It's the urge to finish off the whole packet, even though you're already full. You're like, well, there's just a couple more left. I have this urge. I'm going to finish it off. It's the urge to re-download the macro tracking app, even though you told yourself you weren't going to track anymore. And urges are totally normal. They are a normal part of the human experience. Urges happen throughout the course of the day. And interestingly, some urges we're really good at dealing with. So for example, the urge to not want to get out of bed, like maybe you're really good at, hey, when I need to get out of bed, I get out of bed. You deal with that urge. Maybe you feel the urge to have the third coffee, even though you know it's going to make you crazy anxious. Maybe you don't have that third coffee. You're able to ride out the wave of that urge. Maybe you have an urge to open up Instagram, even though you know you should be working. And some urges we have practiced enough to be able to overcome or ride out that urge. But there are some urges that are really challenging. Specifically, I know around food and and as someone that works with individuals to help them with their relationship with food, this is kind of why this is so important is because we're not telling ourselves no when we don't react to an urge. What we are doing is actually identifying like, how do I want to respond to this urge, which is such 
an incredibly empowering feeling to respond to an urge instead of react to an urge. And this is where distress tolerance and mindfulness are really important because urges can be really uncomfortable. They are fucking uncomfortable as hell. And the more uncomfortable it is to sit with that urge, the more likely we are to give into it. Think of it, think about it like a mosquito bite. If you never itch a mosquito bite, it goes away. Like if you feel the itch and you don't itch it, it will go away so much quicker than if you scratch it and then have to keep scratching it, right? But what happens is when we give into our urges, we label, label ourselves as, you know, I have no willpower, I have no self-control, or I just need to be more disciplined. And the perception that we have is I can't handle temptation or I need more control over my eating. But then the behaviors that we participate in to deal with the discomfort of urges or to avoid the discomfort of urges are things like strict macro tracking or eliminating all quote unquote bad foods from the house or trying to substitute or trick yourself into eating quote unquote healthy versions of the foods that you actually want. But I have some good news for you is that urges are like a wave. So they rise, they hit a peak, and then they fall. And so in increasing distress tolerance and mindfulness, we can learn to ride out that wave. And specifically, we're going to talk about a skill called surfing the urge. And I want to give you an example because this is actually something that many of my clients have noticed that has sort of been like a, like a, like a light bulb moment for them. So have you ever had an urge to eat something? Let's say you finished dinner, you're like, ooh, I'm going to get a snack. And someone calls you or someone texts you and you get caught up in the call or you get caught up in the text conversation. And once you've finished, you kind of forget that you even wanted to eat the thing in the first place. So that is an example of riding the wave of an urge, but you kind of did it without even realizing it, right? It's a sort of accidental way to increase distress tolerance, but this is such a good example of how urges rise and fall. And so we are going to talk about how to surf the urge. But first, I want to talk about how important awareness is here. Sometimes we want to skip to the part where we're just like fixing the thing, but we cannot change what we are not aware of. And there is a difference between saying, I know that I struggle with urges and having awareness around, hey, I tend to have an urge to eat cookies at this time of day when this thing happens, right? Two very different types of awareness. In order to surf an urge, we need to get better at noticing the urge in the first place. And this is really challenging because I'll often talk to clients that are like, I don't even realize that I did the thing until after I've already done the thing, right? Like I didn't realize that I had an urge to eat until after I was already starting to eat. And so first, we want to get really curious about our patterns. So this is almost like, if you could see me right now, I'm like taking a step, like moving my hand back and like taking a step back and starting to get curious about our patterns. And so I would ask you, and if you want to get out some notes now and jot this down, this might be helpful. We want to start getting curious about what are the patterns that we notice around urges? So when do you tend to experience urges? What tends to trigger or come up before an urge? What indicates to you that you're experiencing an urge? What does an urge feel like in your body? Asking these questions can start to bring awareness to when you think, hey, you know, I might predict that like this is a normal moment for me to experience an urge. Great. That's amazing awareness. We can start with that and then move on to in the moment awareness. And so for example, for me, I used to struggle with wanting to continue eating past fullness every time I went out to a restaurant. I would sit at the table with my friends and I would feel full and if there was food on my plate, I would have this urge to continue eating and that would often mean that I would leave restaurants feeling really uncomfortable and also just really disappointed in myself. 
And the urge would come up as I noticed sort of the meal was coming to an end. As I realized, you know, there wasn't a ton of food left on on the table or on my plate. And I would start to get this uncomfortable feeling thinking about like, I'm full. What do I do? Do I keep eating? This is, you know, I don't want to waste food. And the urge to eat everything would take over. Physically in my body, it would feel like a tenseness in my shoulders and my breathing would get a little bit shallower. And I would notice that my eyes would like dart from plate to plate. I would check out what other people had eaten or not eaten. And then my mind was was like, eat more, finish it off, even though I was physically full. Especially when I was more restrictive with my eating, this urge was a lot stronger. And so I would have thoughts like, you never let yourself eat this food or you never get to enjoy stuff like this, like you have to take advantage. And this was an urge to continue eating. And once I brought awareness to this pattern, I could actually start working on preparing myself ahead of time and then in the moment to tolerate this discomfort and be able to ride the wave of the urge. And so the second step was to actually start calling it out. Like saying, hey, I'm having an urge right now. And this allows you to come to the present moment of what is happening. And as I said, you can predict when urges are likely to arise. If you went through step one, you're probably aware of your patterns. And as you continue to learn more about your patterns, you, you will notice different things come up as you pay attention. And again, the air of curiosity is so important here. And this is where distress tolerance is really important. Remember, it's perception and behavior. So we want to believe, hey, when urges come up, I'm learning how to deal with them. I know that I can get through this. We also know we have the belief that urges rise and fall. And we want to believe that we can trust ourselves to handle it or practice it. And so we want to notice, calling out like, I have an urge. Notice what the urge feels like in your body. Where do I feel this? What does it feel like to have this urge? Is it like a tightness? Is it, you know, is my breathing different? Is my body temperature different? Ideally, we're catching urges, you know, early enough so that we can really be a bit more mindful. And I want to acknowledge that if an urge is very, very strong at the beginning, it's really challenging to practice this. So we want to try to like, like build our way up. So maybe start with urges that are like smaller. I also want to mention that a lot of this is going to depend on on how strong the urge is. Let's say you're someone that you are really, really hungry and you're trying to keep yourself from eating sweets. And so you have a really strong urge to eat, but it's also because you're really hungry. Surfing the urge is not what I recommend to you. What I recommend to you is actually eating something. But let's say you've eaten dinner and you're in the habit of, you know, I eat dinner and then I have an urge to go directly for the chocolate. And I'd really like to learn how to surf this urge so I'm not, you know, eating chocolate every day after after dinner. I'm actually allowed to make a choice if I want to do that. In that case... Yes, I would, I would say that this is where we want to go. If we're dealing with stronger urges, again, therapy might be really helpful here. And so there are two ways that you can go here. If you can, step away, set a timer, go do something that soothes or distracts you, and then come back and check in with your urge. So that means you call out, I'm having an urge right now. You notice what it feels like in your body, where you feel it. You maybe get curious about where this is coming from. And then you give yourself some space. So set a timer, it can be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you can play around with how long it takes. Some urges may take longer, some urges may take a less, take less amount of time. And go do something that brings your mind away from the urge or the thing that you are focused on. And then come back and check in with it. And so what you might do in those moments is go take a hot shower, listen to a guided meditation. Maybe you'll go play with your dog, you'll go for a walk, you'll listen to some music and you'll dance, you'll snuggle or chat with your partner. But then 
on the other hand, like sometimes you're in a situation like the one that I mentioned earlier that I used to struggle with where you're at dinner with friends and you can't just say, bye, I'm going to go take a hot shower. And so here's where you can really notice your physical sensations. What does this urge feel like in your body? Where do you feel it? Can you pra- Can you breathe? Ah, can you breathe in and out through your nose? Can you notice the sensation of the breath coming in your body? Allow yourself to notice the breath. You may choose to practice something like progressive muscle tensing and relaxing. So maybe you tense up your foot and release it. Tense your calf, release it. Tense your thigh, release it. What this does is it brings your attention into your body, brings you more, helps you be more mindful about what's happening in your body. I'll even, I've had clients that sometimes will excuse themselves and step away so that they can do a little bit of breathing like in the bathroom or something like that. And that can be really, really helpful, especially if it is a situation like the one that I mentioned earlier. As you practice noticing these urges, giving yourself the space between, hey, I'm noticing this urge and this is my response to the urge, you're going to grow the capacity to sit with uncomfortable sensations and urges and also learn a lot more about how you want to deal with them. And ultimately, as we practice this, we may get to a point where we don't need to distract ourselves or go do something else. We may be able to simply sit and breathe and notice as maybe the intensity of the urge rises and then falls. And this can be a really incredible mindfulness practice to really notice how the changes in your body, the changes in your breathing, the changes in your thoughts sort of rise and fall over time. And the cool thing about mindfulness is we're there to just observe it. We're not there to try to control or try to judge or try to push yourself away. And sometimes you'll find that it actually can become enjoyable to sort of notice how your body responds, what your thoughts do, and you'll start to trust more and more that you can get through an urge without feeling the need to react to it immediately. And you may even notice that you create or find new coping mechanisms. So for example, for me, I used to struggle with, I would finish work, I would sign off, And I would immediately feel this urge to go to the fridge. And now what I'll do is I will sign off from work. I will sit in my chair for a second. And then I will go to my dog and give her like a big annoying hug. Or I will go do something that isn't in the direction of the kitchen to give myself a little bit of time to sort of disconnect from work. And if there is that urge, kind of let it ride out a little bit. And it helps me disconnect from work even better. And it keeps me from going for a snack that I'm, I was often going for when I wasn't even hungry. And so to wrap it up, distress tolerance is a skill that is heavily supported by mindfulness and surfing the urge is one technique that you can practice this. And as you practice this more and more, you'll find that you'll build confidence in yourself to move through urges and even notice perhaps less impulsivity and more self-trust. So I have a little challenge for you. The first thing is to identify the beliefs you have about yourself and your capacity to tolerate distress. Do you label yourself as someone with no willpower? How do you tend to deal with uncomfortable feelings or urges when they come up now? The second thing, bring awareness to your urges. Get curious about your patterns. You can go back and listen to the questions I gave you earlier. Get curious about when urges normally pop up. What do they feel like in your body? What does your mind say to you in those moments? And then the third thing is to practice surfing the urge. Notice the urge, call it out, give yourself a moment to check in with what it feels like, where you feel it, what might be driving the urge, and then choose how you'd like to surf it. 
I will often frame this question to clients in this way. What feels helpful for you in these moments? And also what would be unhelpful for you in these moments? We want to identify like, hey, helpful activities for me are these. Great. Having those in mind ahead of time are really, really helpful. So that's all I have for you today. I know it was, I feel like this was a little bit of a different episode and I would really love to hear how you liked it. And I also want to say, if you're currently tracking your food and want to reduce your reliance on tracking or stop tracking altogether, make sure you download the free workbook and guide to my five principles for intentional eating. I will walk you through how to structure your meals in a way that's both enjoyable and nourishing without tracking your food. And I will also mention if you are a nutrition coach and you are interested in mentorship support to learn how to coach clients on mindful eating practices, reducing their reliance on tracking and building skills like the ones I talk about in my podcast, I have one spot available in my mentorship program. Unfortunately, one of our coaches is not able to continue with us, which is very sad, but that opens up one spot for another coach if you are interested. And the best way to contact me is if you would reach out to me via Instagram. That is a great place for us to chat. So thank you. I really appreciate you showing up and listening to this podcast. I hope it was helpful. And I will see you again next time.